0: Hi, welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold Podcast, the podcast covering JMU sports from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin. I'm here with Noah Fleischman again. Uh, we're the JMU beat writers at the DNR and here to talk, uh, talk some spring sports, get into football a little bit, a little bit later. But um, yeah, I guess you know, we can jump right into big win for JMU baseball yesterday against you know, a pretty solid... Virginia Tech team. I think it was kind of you know interesting to see after struggling a little bit on a road trip, JMU now comes back and kind of completes a game after showing some solid moments against Tennessee and Florida State, but not getting any wins in any of those games. To see them, you know, do what they did against Virginia Tech. Uh, you, know, you, you were there, Noah. So take me through just how impressive a performance that was on Tuesday.
1: I mean, you had Ryan Murphy making his second career start. He only threw one inning last year in his freshman year. Sophomore year, he's made six appearances now, two starts. He, he retired at one point, ten batters in a row. Yeah, after they let off. The, the, after Tech got the leadoff guy on with an error, he retired the next ten straight. He only gave up five hits, two runs. Great outing from him. His career best in innings as well as strikeouts of six in each of those categories. So pitching got the job done. Went to the bullpen. Eli Odinger came in, only allowed one hit. So, I mean pitching was the best I think that they've seen so far and that was a question mark after the Tennessee and Morehead State series was in Tennessee they walked too many guys they walked 10 batters in one game you don't want to do that and then in the Moorhead State they left pitchers up in the zone and that Morehead State was able to hit home runs they had seven home runs in 16 innings of total play so this was a really good performance from the pitching staff and on the other side you know the hitting really came and, and Chase of came back to the lineup he kind of shakes things up in the way that other guys get approached and Kyle Novak three RBIs for him, he hit a home run as well. So, it was overall really probably the most complete performance against an equal or better opponent that Jamie's had. I mean, you can talk about games like George Mason and VMI where they blew him out, but I think this was probably the most complete performance against a team that's probably better than them.
0: Yeah, borderline top 25 right now, talking about Virginia Tech. And they've been pretty solid here in recent years. So, you know, like I said, they played well at times at Florida State, but that was not evident from the final scores. They really played pretty well in one game at Tennessee and they
1: were really in both. They, yeah. the bullpen kind of fell apart in the second
0: one. Yeah, but you talk about, you know, the untimely rain delay may have changed yeah. that situation where they, you know, seemed to have all the momentum to possibly get a kind of a signature victory in that first day. In Knoxville, and that gets away from them. Did you talk to Ikeberry or anybody before the Virginia Tech game about you know what happened at Morehead State? Because I mean, I don't know if it's just a matter of he being on a like, long bus trip or what. But yeah, the, I
1: talked to him on Monday, so the day before the Tech game, and he talked about you know they played four games in the matter of I think four days. There was um, doubleheader at Morehead State, which was their first doubleheader of the year, and then they had the kind of resumed game doubleheader then. So he said it was kind of weird being in the doubleheader situation, but also they were on the bus for a week. They, there was a lot of different scenarios. That, so they weren't really that comfortable. And also, Moorhead State's field itself is really, as he put it, odd. I mean, there is a netting out in right field that is in play. It's a short portion. right I don't know. It's a lot of things that are kind of weird about that field. They, it's an old field. The outfield has a dip in it. So, I mean, it wasn't the most, you know, best of situations for them to go <laughs> into. But... Overall, I think he's happy now that they kind of got back on the right step going on the road again this weekend. But overall, Tennessee, they liked what they saw, even though the the scores really didn't reflect. I mean, the first one did, the second one didn't. And then Moorhead State was kind of just, you know, a doubleheader that kind of things were just not going their way. They left pitches up in the zone, Moorhead State made them pay, and that's what's going to happen, I guess, if you make these mistakes.
0: Yeah, it does kind of seem like it was one of those situations where probably somewhat of a letdown after the rain delay and not getting the win there you're kind of just like you're on the bus on the way home from tennessee it's almost like we'll get a couple more games in while yeah. we're out here uh, and then you know if you it is
1: beat the snow back
0: and, and a strange field like maybe not feeling like you're playing the division one thing like yeah i can see how you probably uh wind up maybe not bringing your best your best effort and one like that you know and you know we also got to throw in they played they played pretty well in the days where they didn't have chase the and you know we make such a huge deal out of him all season he's it's not a one-man team by any means but you know it's always going to be somewhat of a factor when your best hitter is not in the lineup and uh not that not that the uh the bats were necessarily the problem on that road trip but you know
1: i mean the more staying thinking they really didn't get any that much run support for for their pitching staff so i mean but overall the came back yesterday they're still without travis rey who's listed as day-to-day he's they're arguably right now probably their second best hitter as the catcher he plays in the outfield as well so i mean you they were all both of them able to play pretty well so imagine if they just had a full strength team again to that tennessee team and that may have been a different outcome
0: yeah and so so they do they come back to harrisonburg yep. and obviously it's a big game because we, we've talked about baseball recruiting because of you know the lack of scholarships and everything everybody recruits their in-state heavily and you know jmu and virginia tech are no different so Probably a lot of these guys know each other, played against each other yeah. all their lives. Um, everybody knows people who go to school at one place or the other. And it sounds like it was a pretty good crowd. I mean, I showed,
1: I showed up to the game. So I've been to a lot of games this year. First time I showed up, there was a line probably of 20 to 30 people waiting for the gates to open an hour before. First time I've seen it. So that just was like a telltale sign. They had one of the best crowds of the year. Great crowd. It was an atmosphere that you were really behind this JV team. There were a lot of Tech fans there, but a lot of JMU fans. I mean, the softball team, I'm pretty sure, showed up at one point. So, overall, the crowd probably the best. Not a bad day outside either yesterday, so I think that also helped bring people out. But, you know, if spring break was – so, I was talking about this in the press box with somebody. Spring break being this week for JMU and and the local schools – did it hurt them or help them? Because you didn't have the JMU students there in left field. But, you know, they go out there have a fun time. But you also had a lot of younger kids in the crowd. So it was kind of like a, a give and take there. But overall, probably one of the best atmospheres JMU's had this year so far at home and, and definitely probably one of the most well-attended games.
0: Yeah, it's probably been a while since they've had a home game like that with that kind of atmosphere given uh, COVID restrictions and everything over the past couple of years. So, yeah, I mean, not necessarily surprising that they came out and played that much better than they did Mm-hmm. in kentucky so um yeah beyond the pitching which obviously was you know really good put them in good position to uh take care of business there what else did you see at the game that kind of looked like a, a positive sign going forward
1: i mean Chase a lot first at bat in the first inning took four pitch walk i mean they weren't really giving him anything to hit his timing after the game i can barely was kind of like it's kind of off but that's something that's usual for a guy who's missed six games and kind of getting back in the rhythm um, but also Kyle Novak, who has been a pretty good hitter for JMU this year. He really found his swing, hit a home run, hit a nice sack fly in a situational game where they got a guy in third with one out. He, just, he he literally said he just went up there trying to hit a pop fly in the outfield and drive him in That's what he did. So that was something that JMU early in the year struggled with was situational offensive, having a guy in third with less than two outs and trying to get him home. And in that case, they did a really good job at it yesterday. They did strain the bases at one point with them loaded. But other than that, they, they did probably one of their best jobs at driving in runners. Um, and that's something that they really stressed. And then, you know, we talked about the pitching, but it, Gavin Cross on Virginia Tech is just as good as Chase Lauder. Pretty much on every All-American team with him out there in center field for the Hokies. And he was started off over three, hit a double down the line, kind of got himself going. But overall, I think the hitting went really well. Especially with Kyle Novak. Um, Trey Dabney got himself back on base. He had a rough series at Morehead State. Went 0 for 8 in two games. A guy who was leading the country in on-base percentage and in walks. So his batting average dropped a lot after that. But he got back on base. We um, got DeLotta back in the lineup. And who he was even able, he went 0-3 with, with a walk, and intentional walk. But, I mean, one of them was just a ground out, able to move the runner, which then later came to score on the sack. Not on the sack fly. He came and scored on the sack fly. But earlier, in the, later in the game, they scored somebody that he moved. So kind of, even though it wasn't the best day, if you look at the box score for him for DeLotta, it was good for him just to get back in the lineup Get, get kind of back in the rhythm of, of playing, and, and, I mean, they respected him. They walked him on four pitches, and then later in the game just sat him the first because they didn't want didn't to want to deal with his bat late in the game.
0: Yeah, and so they come back to Harrisonburg. They play a game that, you know, obviously they're fired up for and have impressive performance, getting ready for another weekend road series, uh, going down to Winthrop. Uh, CAA play is creeping up on them. There's only a few games left before they get to the conference. What are you expecting down in Winthrop?
1: I think you go down the win through, and I think that the Virginia Tech game will kind of prove as a, a confidence booster again. Of they just lost four in a row, now they're back with a win over Tech, which a lot of these guys probably wanted to play at Tech or play against them at some point or another, so they got that win. So I think that you go down the one through, up a team that's very similar to JMU and, and kind of level-wise. So I think that we've seen them play these teams and play them well this year, and they haven't really had a game except Morehead State Series where they played Below the the level of the other team, so I think that it's a good weekend to bounce back. And if they can walk out just with a series win, I think that that'll be a, a big success. If they can go two for three there, if they sweep it, then even better. But I think a two for three weekend is pretty good there.
0: Yeah, and they're looking at um, a situation going forward where it's a lot of these weekend series with you know a single midweek game mixed in. Um, they got another. Game against VMI, they've already played. You know, one of those kinds of midweek things. But is that really the focus going forward? Is hey, let's win every series we play. I mean, yeah. you, you know, I mean, if they do that, if they're taking two of three each weekend, are they in this, the position where they want to be? at the end of the season.
1: I think so. that's what they talked about before the year began. They were like, hey, we just wanna they want to win every game, of course, every team does, but that's that's obviously not gonna happen in a fifty six game schedule. But they looked at it as if you can just take every series, those wins add up and the losses kind of stay to a minimal in minimal thing. So I think that overall that is definitely the goal that they have kind of down the, the back stretch of this now, almost to the halfway point in the season and when you look at it, you're going to play a lot of CAA teams, but you're either better than or you're at the same skill level as. And if you take two or three from them, you're putting yourself in a, in a good situation. And I think if you do that, you'll probably come out with 30, 35 wins, and I think that's where they want to be.
0: Yeah, and you know they they weren't able to take advantage of the the truly marquee opponents they had on the schedule. You know the Florida State and the Tennessee opportunities mm-hmm. have passed, and you know they showed some positive signs, but they didn't get any victories in those games. How much are they rooting for Virginia Tech now? I mean, they have the, the, the season, you know, how are they, are they hoping that Maryland turns into a big thing when they look at their future yeah. schedule for signature wins?
1: I mean, Tech was a team receiving votes this week, so that was a good win. They hope for them to get back in the win column. I mean, ACC baseball, anything can, can happen, and you can get good wins there, and that will help Jamie in the long run. they got to go back down to Tech in April. They've got Maryland coming here and going to College Park, so they do have good opponents left on the schedule. And I think that, you know, Maryland, a team at one point, was ranked this year in the top 25. I don't know if they still are, but overall, I think when you look at it, there's still good opportunities for Power 5 wins on the schedule. And and those are teams from conferences that are pretty good baseball conferences, especially with the ACC Big Ten, not as much, but, I mean, still Power 5. So, overall, they've got good games left on the schedule. I think they're definitely, definitely rooting for Virginia Tech, but I think they also realize that, you know, Going down to Tech, it's going to be a little more, a little more harder to win there than it was to be comfortable at Veterans Memorial Park. But I think, I think they're ready for it.
0: Yeah, they've had some pretty good atmospheres at uh, in Blacksburg for Virginia Tech baseball recent years. Um Kapresha also mention they've got three at home coming up later in the season with Northeastern. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a That's huge series. Easter weekend, yeah.
1: big series for for, for JMU. If you don't know, Northeastern last week swept the top ten North Carolina State at NC State. Yeah. And so I think I think that Northeastern's the team to beat in the CAA and I think that weekend especially being at JMU will really help the Dukes kind of be comfortable in that series and I think that's going to be one to watch.
0: Yeah, so if we're looking down the road at postseason potential for JMU, th- there are still some opportunities yeah. for them to build some sort of resume assuming they take care of business elsewhere and not have any more I mean, you know more head state lose weekend. to BMI or somebody like that. Yeah. But I
1: think if you take care of business in the other game against Tech, you probably need to win both Maryland games. And if you take care of business, you win the series against Northeastern, I think there's all quality wins that the NCAA will look at. But I think you just have to – for them to get in with an at-large bid, it's hard, but I think they need to get to, like, 35 wins. Yeah,
0: and it'll be interesting to see. I don't know how much – you know, obviously, you know, March Madness beginning now, Yeah, people pour over the, the <laughs> resumes of all the at-large teams, like, you know, in details that you can't even imagine – I don't know how much, like, it actually gets broken down. I'm sure the committee, like, mm-hmm. spends their time on it. But, like, how much, like, saying, well, you know, they were in good, shot, in good shape against Tennessee before the rain came. Like, I don't know how much that stuff actually ends up coming into the discussion later on. Um, you know, we'll talk about it here because we you know we are where we are. But um, I think it, the way to
1: avoid that is you just... Take care of business, you win win the games you need to win. And, and yeah. I mean, they still got plenty of opportunities. Granted, if they took that game at Tennessee, the first one, I think we're JMUs looking at after beating Tech now. I think they would be looking at a lot different scenario, but I mean, you still were competitive. Good mo- morale boost should be competitive with Tennessee, but I don't know if that really affects the NCAA and be like, oh, JMU's dangerous, but just couldn't close the door.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that, that can make a pretty good segue into talking about you know mm-hmm. some of the other spring sports and the women's sports at JMU because what we saw from JMU Baseball is lose four in a row, come back with a good response, and still be kind of in the conversation they want to be in at this point yeah. in the season. Um, but I wrote about this week about how a lot of the other teams, especially some women's teams at JMU, have not been responding to that as well. I've been feeling tons of pressure um, you know, really, just can, you could talk about softball, lacrosse, and women's basketball, three programs that kind of set the standard at JMU for, you know, long-term consistency, postseason appearances, dominating the CAA in their sports, and it's been a struggle for all three of those programs this year, and, you know, as you talk to the coaches and players from all those teams, you know, they say, you know, we're just feeling a ton of pressure mm-hmm. because, We feel like we have to make the NCAA tournament. We have to make the postseason, or it's a failure on our part because of what's come before us. And there's not a clear path for these teams. They're all in kind of a rebuilding mode um, with young squads. They continue to play really tough schedules, all three of them. And right now at this point, all three of those programs are below 500, which is entirely unheard of at JMU, really. Um, So it's interesting to kind of see – how the dynamics are so different with some of the programs because you know you can compare baseball and softball. Yeah, baseball, you know they're winning some games and they respond with one victory against Virginia Tech and it's you know celebration time and you know looking at it so optimistically. And every, when it comes to softball, the question is well, what's wrong? When it comes to women's basketball, the question is what's wrong. Whereas saying we're talking about men's basketball, we're saying hey back-to-back winning seasons and the difference between men's basketball and women's basketball was a couple of division three victories for the men Um, so I mean it's interesting to kind of look at the standards but it's women's sports have been a big deal at JMU for a long time probably before most schools started making a big deal out of women's sports and so there's there is that standard and it's just been really really fascinating to see how tough this season with the CAA ban hanging over them, how much that's kind of affected those three programs compared to some of the others on campus.
1: Yeah, I think when you compare, you've made the example of baseball and softball, right? And how they lost four in a row, win one game, they're optimistic again. And softball loses four in a row, wins one game, and they're like, still, we lost four in a row. And I think the difference is the past success. Jamie Baseball hasn't made the NCAA tournament thing since 2011. And softball had their big run last year, and they've, they've been in the tournament plenty of times since before then. So I think that the biggest difference is, you know, there's nothing to lose for one team that really hasn't been at that premier success level and the other team is like has the pressure of getting back. But like as you said, with no CAA tournament, it's basically it put every game as a tournament game because you need to win as many games as possible to get yourself in position. Obviously I think softball's last season success might keep them like uh, on the minds of the committee a little bit more because, you know, they saw them make a big run. But overall, like It might turn into making them feel like they're playing a tournament game every game because if you lose a couple that you shouldn't lose, then your your chances dwindle.
0: Yeah, and I wrote about this in the Daily News Record here this week, a story about the pressure that these teams are feeling. And it's really interesting to me kind of how that story came about. Usually, like, how you get to the words on the page, like, doesn't really matter that much. But to me, this one was, like, interesting because, you know, these outdoor spring sports – are different than a lot of things. We go cover a basketball game or a football game. They go to the locker room immediately. They calm down. They figure out what they're going to say before they come out for a press conference. It's a completely different vibe. And, you know, go hanging around a lacrosse game or a softball game or a baseball game too, but, like, it's a different, a little bit different scenario. But, like, you hang around the lacrosse and softball teams and they're just having their post game talks out in the open I'm sitting there waiting to hear you know waiting to talk to them I'm hearing everything they have to say and it's like wow like they're struggling like not just on the field they're struggling with how they need to deal with this um they're really you know laying it all out there um and so I was at the lacrosse game the other day and saw you know their post game talk um everybody kind of you know being very honest very blunt with each other um, not, it, not in a bad way either. You know, it was just you know, a very open conversation. But you know, it kind of dawned on me, like you know, most of the teams I covered, this is what happens in the locker room, and I don't get to see it, and I don't get to hear it. And it's a completely different conversation 15 minutes later when they come to a press conference. So you know, I call Sean O'Regan, the women's basketball coach, up, and I was like, you know, I know we've talked about the CAA ban for months now and to say the same things. And it's weird that I'm calling you to ask about it again when your season's over. But like, this is what I just witnessed. As like, how, I mean, was this what your locker room was like all year? And he's like, yeah, I mean, it's really kind of was like, it's, you know, just tough to deal with. And so much pressure to make the NCAA tournament. When you play for one of those teams, you know, women's basketball, even though they haven't been to the NCAA tournament in a while, it's been kind of extraordinary circumstances. that kept them out. First it was, uh, Basically the entire backcourt and bench getting hurt right before the CAA tournament a few years ago And then in 2020 they had a team that like really like not only was going to be an at-large bid In the tournament if they didn't win the CAA tournament That was a team that like I think a lot of people were picking like to maybe win a couple games in this NCAA tournament That was you know by far Sean O'Regan's best team since he's been here and they got the NCAA tournament canceled on them Uh, That was devastating and then they've been down for a couple of years and, you know, just to talk to him about like, what's been happening, even coming off a little bit of a down year last year, they play at Liberty, which I think was like, you know, the third or fourth game of the season. It's still November and they lose an overtime game to Liberty who turned out to be pretty good. Like losing on the road to Liberty in overtime was really like not one of the most shameful performances of the season for them. He was they shot terribly, And after the game in the locker room, the players are asking Sean O'Regan, like, does this mean we're done? Like, are we not going to make the NCAA tournament now? Like, are are we out? And this was, you know, with 20-some games left to play. And it's, like, just incredible. That's kind of, like, the attitude and, like, the feelings that they had. And that's what those coaches are – that's the challenge they're dealing with right now is to keep them focused on – Focused on, you know, the day-to-day, which, you know, everybody talks about, you know, one game at a time, all that stuff. But it's kind of impossible to do that when not making the NCAA tournament is considered a failure for the program that you play for.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's, like, the biggest thing. I mean, we see these conversations are had probably every game after every, for some of these teams, but you just don't see it. As you talked about it. so it was kind of eye-opening. And then when you told me about that today, I was like, all right, like, it's probably things are said a lot in locker rooms after a loss and you just don't, don't hear it and so it's kind of interesting to see the other side of the see what the players I guess see or whatever whatever they're feeling and, and overall I mean but yeah the pressure is extremely high for these teams and when you look at a team like lacrosse nationally ranked program and struggling but granted the loss they had this weekend in the Rutgers is an undefeated nationally ranked team Rutgers team it's not like they're losing to a team that hasn't won a game yet this year so kind of interesting the amount of pressure they're putting on themselves. That's like, yeah, that game isn't a terrible loss, but it also would have been a really helpful win getting into the NCAA tournament.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think with the lacrosse, they've always played a tough schedule. They they knew they were going to lose some games, and traditionally, losing these games hasn't necessarily kept them out of the NCAA tournament. Um, even if you know they don't win the CAA tournament, they've they've gotten into the NCAA tournament as a ten and ten team before um so they're not out of it by any means but they were so disappointed with the way they lost and like you know you look at lacrosse uh in particular nobody wanted to take a shot in the second half of that game because it's just they're just so tightly wound right now that nobody wants to be the one that makes a game defining mistake uh, because that could be a season defining mistake at this point and it's just it's really interesting to see the psychological element of this, like on display with the CA band and everything. It's just, you know, these teams in the past, there's a level of expectation. There's, you know, they're never happy to lose, but there's always been that situation where we could have a bad month, not just a bad game, a bad month. And if we're playing well in the CA tournament, we're fine. Yeah. And that's not there right now. And it's just, really really incredible to see how much that's weighing on multiple teams with multiple coaches like just coming and saying like the same things independently of each other <laughs> it's just like yeah it's it, it's it's wild it's um you really feel for everybody involved that they're going through this right now with no real opportunity to grow and explore themselves and figure things out and do it without feeling like all is lost if things don't go well on one particular day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think commerce tournaments provide a great safety blanket for, like, as you talk about it, You can have a terrible month, but all you have to do is win three, four games in a row, and, and you're in the tournament. So, like, it's really all you need to worry about. And I think when you take it away, just, what happens, what we're seeing now is, is what happens, and the pressure gets put on you a lot earlier in the year.
0: Yeah, and, yeah, like, the Commerce tournament, it's the... Uh, I feel like when you look at JMU... In particular, you can look at their basketball programs, for instance, both the men's and the women's. They don't get enough credit for regular season success down through the years because so much relies on that three those three games in the conference tournament. Um, like I don't think you know you can look back at what Sean's done, what Kenny Brooks has done at JMU, what Lefty Drizel did when he was coaching the JMU men, winning the conference playing well for two months and winning those regular season titles is so impressive. And then it just kind of like gets erased if you like have one bad game in March. And it's, you know, that's, that's the life of a mid major, but it's, it's, it's really, it's really frustrating. And then it's like doubly compounded now that you're almost flipping it, that you're making the regular season so important that there's just no balance to it at all.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that's, Something that some of these coaches may not have expected—it could be to the severity that I think you're seeing now—and when, when they found out the, the conference tournament wasn't a go—and I think that you know, overall, it's it's really now every regular season game that doesn't probably feel like a regular season game to these guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's interesting, and but we can uh, transition a little bit before we head out with. Um, some football talk. We'll, we'll probably have at least a little football talk here. I mean, and next
1: week we'll, we'll ramp it yeah, up a little bit. Yeah,
0: spring football is about ready to start. Um, you'll get some football from us probably every week from now and through January. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it's going to be, you know, football season never really ends. But we can hit on the big news for j football before they actually get into spring practice is scheduling news. It has nothing to do with the Sun Belt or Conference USA or anything else. Um They finally got UVA back on the schedule. Not for 2022, but for 2023. It's been a long, long time since they've been able to get UVA back on the schedule again. But this is what... One of the many things people were pointing to as why JMU needs to go FBS is to get games like that.
1: I mean, I I, I don't think this game happens if they don't make the move to the FBS. To be completely honest, I mean, like, I don't think... Virginia wants to play an FCS James Madison and have and risk the uh, risk it being a loss. I mean, if you lose an FBS James Madison, not as bad. But if you lose FCS James Madison, I think on the eyes of UVA, it's, it's not a good loss. Now, they'll be playing each other for the first time in forty years, basically almost to the day. It's like a week difference when they play in twenty twenty three. So it's a very long time. Nobody on the field will have been alive for the last time that they played. I mean, the coaching staffs probably will have, but like none of the players. It's kind of you know an interesting little tidbit. I think to me a great. Atmosphere there in Charlottesville, just 45-minute drive down the road, easy to get to. Probably the closest road trip we're gonna play, and they're gonna play in the next few years. I mean, I think you take that as many times as you can get. But I mean, overall, a very good opponent for v- for JMU to put on the schedule. Um, Power five, non conference, a game that's probably gonna be competitive and winnable for JMU, especially that'll be their first year bowl eligibility. So it's, that game, it's gonna have a great crowd, a winnable game, and you win it. It's one more win toward bowl eligibility.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see – be interesting to see what JMU can – or what UVA can do here this upcoming season with a new coaching staff because, I mean, let's be honest, they're not putting 60,000 people at Scott Stadium over there anymore. It's been years since they've, like, really had good crowds. Um, you know, even even when, you know, Bronco was winning games there in Charlottesville, the crowds were not back to the level they were really in, you know, the Al Groh era – um, when you know they'd get fifty, sixty thousand pretty routinely. So, I mean, if they don't turn things around pretty quickly at UVA, you could be looking at like it's gonna be a, a, pre- <laughs> a pretty pro JMU crowd there because you know they'll grab up those tickets as soon as they can. I mean, you know, like you said, JMU's home crowd typically comes to Harrisonburg from Richmond, from Washington D.C. area. Um, Other places, it's the same trip to Charlottesville. It's a closer trip to Charlottesville for a lot lot of people. Um, So, you know, putting 25,000 JMU fans in Scott Stadium does not seem like a stretch at all if those tickets are available, which, you know, historically, recent history for UVA has been those tickets are available. Um, So that's, you know, definitely an interesting dynamic for that. It's not going to be easy for JMU fans to get tickets in Blacksburg. In a few no. years, when they go there, um, but that doesn't seem to be the case in Charlottesville right now, and so that's definitely going to be, you know, a factor in this. You almost have to wonder if that's a factor in UVA wanting to schedule this game is
1: sell, I mean, selling
0: you, some more tickets, like yeah. than they than they have been recently. That that's been an issue there.
1: I mean, instead opponents are always good for selling tickets. I mean, we talk. We can talk about. I saw in a report ODU. They're playing Tech at home. They don't think they're going to have the same. They pretty much said they're not going to have single-game tickets for that game. They don't think they're going to have single-game tickets available maybe for the JMU game this year. So when you play in-state opponents now at the FBS level with UVA Tech, ODU, JMU, all super close. And they're all recruiting the same kids now. Mm -hmm. And I think that now when you're – if they can kind of play these games every year. You're playing a UVA – I mean, UVA Tech obviously play each other every year. But – if you can get UVA and Tech to schedule ODU JMU kind of every year and start building that, I think that just helps not only – I think that helps every program in the long run, especially when you're recruiting the state and you say, hey, we play these teams, we beat these teams, or, you know, we just play these teams, and you may not be re- be recruited right now heavily by Tech, but if you want to play Tech, you know, JMU plays them or whatever. So I think that these games not only help financially for the, for the schools that are scheduling them, but also – Competitively and, and recruiting-wise as well, just you know, they're all going to be competing for the same kids. May as well play against each other.
0: Yeah, and I guess the second big question from this is: so they've got the road games at Virginia yep. Tech now. They got a road game at UVA, which was kind of you know the first step in it was just getting them on the schedule because um, it's been a while. Like it hasn't been that long for Virginia Tech, but Jamie's won the last two meetings against <laughs> yeah against UVA and Tech, and so. Those schools not eager to play them again, especially until they went to FBS, and because you don't want to lose to an FCS opponent. Like, no. I you, mean,
1: you buy an FCS opponent to win the
0: game. <laughs> yeah, which is why you know UVA's played William and Mary, they played VMI, they've played Richmond, they weren't scheduling JMU as an FCS opponent. But you look at ODU and Liberty when they made the moves to FBS, they landed two for ones with Virginia Tech and UVA. Uh, th- you know, things have changed a little bit with Liberty, they're joining Conference USA, one of the future games had to be canceled, and JMU kind of like slips in there into that spot and takes Liberty's place on the schedule there. But that's I mean the big question for me is are there any two for one deals with Power Five conferences in general, but Virginia and Virginia Tech uh, you know very specifically because if you look at ODU landing that I can't imagine JMU's not you know, banging down the door trying to get the same thing because just how huge would that be to get either one of those schools, let alone both, or another you know, well-known Power 5 program to get those into Harrisonburg for the first time? just seems like that's got to be the ultimate goal for the athletic department as they look at schedules going down the line.
1: It's got to be. I mean, when you look at – not only the the game itself and being able to recruit off that, but also, as you talk about financially, it would probably be an instant sellout if they get any of those schools to come. I mean, you see ODU doing it, so it's not out of the question, but it's kind of interesting that JMU getting UVA on the schedule, but it's only a one one game, and UVA is paying them, I think, $500,000 to show up. So I guess they'd rather buy JMU than, than risk losing two games in a matter of two or three years' span.
0: Yeah, and, you know, obviously the door is back open for yep. JMU and UVA. They're... They're talking, they're playing. That That's, you know, I don't think there's really been much discussion even on the UVA side of things to bringing in JMU until JMU went FBS. So further matchups, the two-for-one thing, that at least, you know, there are talks between the teams now. Um,
1: you've got you know, to imagine, though, that they tried to grab one of those. I don't know. you got to imagine they they tried.
0: And you you've got to wonder also about the future... For JMU on the football side, maybe they're not as aggressive with scheduling those power five teams. I mean sure they take it, but maybe they're not as aggressive as like going out to look for those right now until they see what the future Bridge four Stadium holds. Yeah. Like maybe see what the ticket demand is, see if you're selling out every game this season, and then decide if you need to expand, which um, is something you know it's gotten talked about a little bit again this week because of the announcement that they began construction over at the Convocation Center to renovate that building, make that home to some of the other athletic programs. It's going to be the home court for volleyball, um, where they play their games, and then offices and locker room space and a lot of other stuff is moving over there from Godwin Hall for various sports, um, you know, track and field, you know, field hockey. The, the offices space is moving. Godwin Hall is going to be an academic building for the most part going forward after 2023. And so the immediate question a lot of people have is Godwin Hall is right next to Bridgeport Stadium. Are they doing this because there's going to be construction at Bridgeport Stadium? And the short answer is no. They're unrelated because Jeff Borden has said many times that they don't have to do anything to Godwin Hall to – tear down those East grandstands and build something similar to us on the West side of bridge Forest stadium. They don't, they don't have to do anything with Godwin hall to do that. So they are unrelated things, but they're also, you know, in saying that Godwin hall doesn't have anything to do with it. You're still kind of acknowledging that that's part of the discussion is the expansion and, you know, renovating that other side of bridge Forest and, you know, making it a true FBS level stadium, which right now is kind of half of a FBS stadium, <laughs> you know, um, I think, aesthetically. Yeah. And with also the – also, you know, just the assumption that eventually you're going to have the demand for 30,000 or more seats.
1: I mean, if they see the demand this year, I think that if they see they basically sell it every home game, then I think that it puts it more on the question of if you're not selling it every game, what's the point of spending all the money to do it to just have an empty half of the stadium?
0: Yeah, and, you know, I would – Expect the demand. I would expect most of the home games to be sold out. But also, I think, like, when they probably have to make their pitch to the powers of B that be, that, hey, we need to expand our stadium, so we need the funds. Um, I think part of the pitch is probably going to be yes, our Middle Tennessee game was sold out, and we had thousands of people calling us wanting tickets that couldn't get them. Yeah. Our, our Marshall game was sold out, and, you know, there were 15,000 people trying to get into the stadium that couldn't. You know, or that's you why we need to... Prices, if it sells out
1: and you look at prices on a secondary market and they're, yeah, they're exactly. astronomical, then you're like, there's the question, there's your answer.
0: Yeah, so, you know, that, I mean, it all kind of, there's so much to talk about, about just the future of the program with this move to the FBS and Sunbelt. Um, you know, a lot of it's speculation at this point, but, you know, these things, these plain UVA, these talks and hints about stadium expansion and everything, it all points to, you know, growth of the program and getting to where people like really have dreamed about as JMU fans for a long, long time. So it's it's interesting that everything you see, just little things that typically, you know, announcing a non-conference game for next year is typically not a huge news piece. No. In this case, you know, everything plays into the bigger picture and the bigger plan for what JMU football has got going forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you look at renovations, I hope we go back to that, JMU is not shy about investing money in the athletic department. You look at, they built the AUBC, they're going to redo the convocation center, they gave JMU, they put the new weight room in, they've got a lot of different stuff, that they're not really shy, they're putting the locker rooms in at, at lacrosse, so wouldn't be out of the question to just keep going and keep invest and reinvesting kind of into your sports programs. And that's something that they've been doing as of late.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, you gotta figure out where the money's coming from. They're going to have to borrow money, which they've done for the AUBC and everything. Um, cause they just don't have those, you know, billion dollar donors that, <sighs> you know, some schools have. Um, but it, it definitely be interesting. Cause like you said, they're not shy. They're not, they're not, um, when, when they met with the General Assembly, it was interesting because part of the pitch to General Assembly was we don't have to expand our stadium. So, you know, Doesn't mean they, they don't, they don't to. have to. But then, like, once that was done, the talk about expanding kind of, like, came up pretty quickly. Yeah. And so, you know, I think one thing they're going to be aggressive about with you know, their marketing and ticket sales and everything this year is showing the demand for a for an a expanded Bridgeport Stadium because, you know, I think when you look at Jeff Bourne here, looking at the tail end of his time as Jamie's athletic director, I don't know when he's going to retire. It probably won't be for a few more years. But getting to FBS, having a completely you know sparkling brand new stadium basically a brand new basketball arena there's going to be so much that can kind of like cement his legacy for decades to come after he retires I think that would be kind of you know maybe one last final you know sprinkle on the cupcake
1: to to get that done too no I think so for sure and I think that you know we'll see coming September we'll see what the demand looks like and and uh, I bet you Jamie will announce that they'll sell out these games and when they do and then I think that that first game, probably probably for sure sellout. I mean, we're going to know the, the time probably. We've, I know we're going to know the first two game times uh, over the summer, and then if it's a night game. I think it's selling no matter what, but I think if Middle Tennessee is a, a 7 o'clock kickoff, I think it's a sold-out crowd.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that'll probably do it for us today. Um, this has been the uh, Purple and Bold Podcast. I'm Shane Metlin, and I'm here with Noah Fleischman, and thank you for listening.